Hey, we're glad you're here this morning. I'm very excited. My name is Kyle Kelly. I'm the pastor of Equipping and Leadership. Pastor Jason and Angie and their family are in New York City coming home sometime, I guess. No, they're coming home today, and uh, they've had some time off, and we're glad that they're there, and I'm honored to be able to do this. I'm really excited because sometimes when you have an opportunity to teach, it's a tough subject. It's one of those you're going, okay, this is going to be one of the more of those kind of course corrections. You got to tell people where they're not and, you know, kind of do what the word tells us to do and iron sharpening iron and kind of go in that direction. This happens to be one that's really easy because everyone in here is going to want to know what your spiritual gift is. If you don't already know, we're talking about spiritual gifts today. If you don't know what yours is and don't, don't even know what they are, you're fixing to find out. But if you do, and you're already serving in those gifts, you know what joy that is when God has given you a unique set of skills and talents and abilities and just a, a God-given capability of doing things. And when you're using that in the kingdom, it brings great joy and comfort. So I'm excited about spiritual gifts because I think by the time we leave today, everyone will be going, hey, I'm ready to be on the team. I'm ready to jump in. It's a great deal. So the word spiritual gifts is something that sometimes brings up concern. Um, it, it has issues from time to time, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. But let me give you a working definition for this morning. Spiritual gifts are the unique talents and abilities that God has given each believer for the church to accomplish its purpose in the world. Very simple. We have them for a reason. And the main reason that we have them has nothing to do with our own goodness or our own ability or the fact that God sees us as more important. All the gifts are equally important, but some of them may demonstrate more uh, publicly where you would see them more as a bigger gift at times. So we would think if you have the gift of teaching and you have the opportunity to preach every week and you've been in front of thousands of people, that gift is bigger than maybe another one that's not quite as obvious. And that is completely untrue. We all are gifted by God for a very specific purpose. And so as we go through this this morning, I, I want to share those with you. We are meant to use our spiritual gifts to benefit the body of Christ. Our spiritual gifts are not given to us to show off or to be powerful or influential or cool. Uh, I don't have the gift that has involves anything whatsoever to do with worshiping. I can be a worshiper, but I can't lead you in worship. I can lead you my, maybe by example, but musically, there ain't no chance. So it doesn't demonstrate itself in certain places. And sometimes, if you're like me, if you're unmusically talented, if, if you're like me, you look at people that have a gift in music and you're thinking, man, I wish I had that gift. I'm going to tell you why I know that I don't have two primary giftedness. I don't have the gift of worship or music for a very specific reason, because I'm selfish and I'm prideful and I'd want to use it and have everybody go, oh, he's amazing. And people would look at me going, oh man, I wish I could sing like Kyle. Because I know that I would use that for selfishness in my own game. I don't believe that God has given me the ability to make finances successful, which is we're going to talk about here in just a minute, that you have the gift of giving, that God has, and in that gift, people have the ability to generate lots of money to advance the kingdom financially. Again, I think the reason I don't have that is because I say I would. If I won the $900 million lotto last night and I walk in today going, hey, I got $900 million bucks, I, I would give some to the church, of course. And I would give some to my family and I would do like almost every giant lottery winner ever has and I would lose all of my family and all my friends and everybody would hate me and I'd be a recluse. Because just think about this, if you won $900 million and you look at your family and say, listen, I'm going to give every family member a million bucks. On the surface, you're going, that's awesome. But you know what your family would say? Million? Really? That's it? 
You got 900 million and there's five of us and you gave away 5 million. Woohoo! Big whoop. And so you can't win for losing and things like that. Well, sometimes in our giftedness, people think, I want one over the other. Well, let's look and see what God's word has to say about it. We're going to look, if you, if you follow along in, in your own Bible or on your phone or tablet, we're going to go to uh, 1 Corinthians 12 here in just a second. But let me share with you a story. My, one of my family members is incredibly smart. She's gifted, she's talented, she's beautiful, she is just a genius intellectually. And several years ago, her and her husband really kind of got on fire for the Lord. They were sitting uh, in a worship service and the pastor was talking about spiritual gifts and he said to them, I want everyone in this congregation to get involved in a small group study for the next four weeks so you can learn everything about spiritual gifts. So at the end, when you get to the end, it's like having a treasure chest. It's like this box that God's going to hand you, and inside is this amazing gift that you may not already know. And so my family member was like, I don't want to go through that. And her husband said, why wouldn't you want to know that? She said, because what's going to happen is I'm going to open mine up, and it's going to be empty, and I'm going to be heartbroken because God didn't give me any special talents. That's Satan trying to steal the ability that God has created in us uniquely. What should happen is we open that lid going, Wow, this is amazing. I get to do this. That's what I want to do. And so we want to take it and we want to say, listen, God, whatever you want to do with this gift, I want to use that. That's what your spiritual gift should be for you, is that moment of, I can't believe I get to do this. But let me give you a little caution before we step in. One of the reasons the church very often doesn't speak about spiritual gifts is there's a little bit of confusion inside of the gifts. If you know much about them, or been around church for a long time, you have issues with some of what we call the sign gifts. This would be prophecy or healing or tongues. These would be things that sometimes are a little out of whack and people get confused. And so because of some confusion, we end up stop talking about it. Well, those issues are really, uh, there's really two schools of thought in, in, in the Christian faith that these sign gifts ceased at some point because they were necessary in the beginning stages of the early church to be able to do miraculous signs and wonders so that people would be drawn to the teaching of the gospel and the gospel could be explained. And so therefore, we don't think we need them anymore because it says that the gifts will cease when we see in fullness. And they, they translate that being when Christ came. Well, we don't see in fullness now. We are still blinded by our sin. We have not seen the fullness of heaven come to earth. And so that, stopped, that part hasn't stopped. And so the gifts still exist, but sometimes those gifts are manipulated or they're uh, exalted and you would think, and, and some people use a test that you're not really following Christ, you're not fully devoted, you're not all of what God wants if you can't do these gifts, and that's completely unscriptural. The gifts are given for the edification of the church. They're given to build up for the common good of what we're accomplishing as a church. And why does a church need to be built up? It's obvious. Look at the world around us. Do they not need a source of hope and life and encouragement in success in this crummy world that is so painful, do they not need to know that there's a group of people and their community that love God and through God's goodness and the work of the Holy Spirit is working through those people? Several years ago, I was at a conference. There was a guy named Miles McPherson, a pastor in California. Uh, he played professional football for a while. Fantastic guy. He made a great statement. I'm going to share this with you. I'd never heard this before. I really thought about it this before. He said, let me tell you what the church is and let me tell you what the church isn't. The church is not the game of Christianity. It's not the actual event of where Christianity occurs. It's like in a football game, the church gathering together in the services is like the huddle. 
You go in a football team, except for the hurry-up offense, so football nerds, leave me alone. So except for, you know, uh, that kind of situation, you get in a huddle to call the play of what we're fixing to go do. And so you gather together to figure out what your plan is and to make sure everybody knows what's about to happen. And then you go to the line of scrimmage and you snap the ball and then the game begins. Nobody buys a ticket to go watch the huddle. None of you DVR a game and fast forward past the play and get to the huddle and watch. The opposite, if you have the advance button, you go point from the time the guy hits the ground to the next snap is just about perfect on that DVR remote. And you can skip all that huddle and all that talk, and man, you can watch a game in 30 minutes. Nobody cares about what's happening in the huddle. They care about what happens on the play, and that's God's perspective of the church. This is the huddle. This is us getting our play and understanding, being ready. This is the practice. The actual running the play starts when we go out these doors and get in our cars, and we go. And so if that is important... What we run out in the world is important to God as we huddle to find out what our spiritual gifts are and how he plans to use those. So sometimes we we get confused, we get worried about them, or sometimes we just ignore them altogether. But Paul obviously thought it was incredibly important that we know about spiritual gifts. He spends three significant passages talking about those. So let me set this up for you. 1 Corinthians 12, 1. It's the first verse we're going to look at. It's very simple. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Most of you know this word uninformed to be ignorant. We use the word ignorant wrong, but it just means you don't know. You just have not been taught. You do not understand what it is. So Paul says very clearly, hey, followers of Christ, believers in the church, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be unable to know what you need to know. So I'm going to teach you. So I'm going to read several verses here um, pretty quick here in just a second, but I want to say this. Satan desires that we would get confused, that we would argue, that we would disagree, that we would be sidelined in small discussions instead of being in the play. So instead of lining up on the line of scrimmage when the ball is about to be snapped, we're standing over here arguing with the official about the last play. Well, I don't know. Coach, what are you calling that for? And then the play goes, now we're playing with 10 minutes instead of 11. We need to be engaged in the play of what God has for the church. And part of us knowing our role is very important. You don't want to go in a football game. Sorry, I'm football-oriented, but you don't want to go into a football game and have two guys in the huddle that are sinners. They're going to center, like as C-E-N-T-E-R, not everybody in the huddle is a sinner. If you've ever played football, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, you, you don't want three quarterbacks in the game at one time. And then they all line up behind the center, and they're going, okay, snap it to me. No, snap it to me. No, snap it to me. And we're arguing over this, or you've got no chance to win. You'd be a terrible team. 1 Corinthians 12, several verses here, 4 through 6, says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works in all of them in all men. Verse 7 says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Just means the fullness, the working in, the the, uh, indwelling of that is the manifestation of the Spirit. It's all for the common good. Then verses 8 through 10 say this, To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by the the means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits. 
to another speaking in different kinds of tongues and still another the interpretation of those tongues. Verse 11 says, all of these are the work of one and the same spirit and he gives them to each one just as he, God, determines. So obviously Paul tells us here in Corinthians that it's important that we know what it is and they vary. We're going to talk about the differences here in just a second. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says these, all of these are the work of one and the same spirit that he gives to each one just as he determines. It's important that we realize that he's the one that gives them and he gives them to us for a purpose. Romans chapter 12, there's several verses in in, in verse 12 that I'll read and then Ephesians I'll read here in just a second. But it says this in Romans 12, 4 through 8, just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not have do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and in each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If one man's gift is prophecy, let him prophesy in proportion of his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is in leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is in showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. So not only does he tell us some of the gifts in, in, in uh, Romans 12, but he explains on how we would do that. Ephesians 4, very important. This is where we're going to put it all together. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. It says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Verse 12, To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining the, measure of the, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, verse 15, if we grow up, we use our gifts and we grow in our faith, we will be speaking the truth in love. We will in all things grow up in him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds up itself in love as each part does its work. So let's take the negative side of this last passage. If we're not doing our job, the body's not complete. Now, I've never had a back injury. I have a really, really good friend that's got a horrendous back issue, chronic, he'll never be whole. Uh, He's had dozens of surgeries and um, Really, all the surgeries kind of cross-contaminate his ability to ever be whole without the divine supernatural healing of of what God could do. Uh, But Amy and I, when our first year of marriage, she called me and she was laying on the floor in our apartment and I was at work and uh, she said, my back is out. And she had never had back issues before and I thought, well, that's kind of weird. She said, all I did is I went over to pick up a load of laundry and when I picked it up and I started to come up, my back snapped, there was a pop and I just fell to the floor in agony. So we went to the doctor, and man, she's in so much, so much pain, hard to get her in the car. She's, I mean, everything, any movement, any turn of the head, everything was painful. It was a miserable position for her to be in. We get to the doctor thinking, there's no other way but surgery. You're just going to have to do something. This is awful. And the doctor said, you know what? I don't like to do surgery right away. Let's try some other things. Let's go to physical therapy. And our response was, I don't care what physical therapists can do. There ain't no way they're taking this pain away. And sure enough, she was amazing did these exercises, stretched it out, and what it is, it's a bulging disc, and if you have back problems, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But there's a little cushion between your vertebrates, and it's got a little jelly-like stuff in there. It's got a little hole like a filled donut. And when it's pinched wrong, that filling will come out a little bit, and that is where it's not supposed to be. The whole thing is squished. Everything is not in the right place. 
when it's bulging and not ruptured, it can go back in with the right therapy and the right relief. And so even though she got better and everything was good, she's had two or three times in her life when it's gone out or it feels like it's on the way out. From that point on, everything changes. You cannot do any normal activity. Don't try to cook. Don't try to take care of the kids. You just stay in this position until the body kind of pulls it back in the right place. So if you've ever had an injury like that, you know that one little tiny little disc can affect everything that's going on in your world. If you've had injury anywhere else or you have chronic pain, everything hurts because of anything you do. Even though it's a small part of the body, it can inflict tremendous amount of discomfort and pain and affect everything. And if any of you live in chronic pain or know somebody that does, it affects everything about your life, the way you feel, the way you look at things, the the way you perceive stuff. Everything is affected. And so Paul says here in this passage, he says, listen, if any of our members are not functioning right, then the other ones are incomplete and cannot function at their fullness either. So God has gifted every body of believers with the things they need to function as a full body. And this is where you get into trouble sometimes. People think, well, you know what? I don't want to be a thumb. I want to be the mouthpiece. I want to be the the good looks. I want to be the strong arms. I want to be the hands that do things or the feet that takes us there. I don't want to be a supporting ligament that keeps the knee working. I, I want to be a cool thing. But what we need to realize is God has created you as what you are as the cool thing. Without a ligament, the bones don't work. Without a right muscle, things don't contract or, or, or extend properly. I mean, everything is important. And if you've never really looked at the human body, you need to recognize that God has unbelievably created something that is so far beyond what man can comprehend on how he did it and how he thought through everything. It's just mind-boggling. Same thing with the body of Christ. He has created this very intimately and very, very detail-oriented so that the church would work properly. And so we go through all those verses to see that God says, hey, I have a plan. And you're in it. If you're a follower of Christ, you're in the plan. So years ago, my mom had an injury on her foot, and it ended up causing nerve damage on the outside of her right foot, which really is shooting pain every step right through your little toe. And so they tried all kinds of things. They spent years working on it, and she couldn't. She used to play tennis a lot and play golf. All that was taken away. She couldn't do it. The doctor said, we cannot fix this nerve, but we can kill the nerve. And if we kill it, you will not have pain anymore. But it will affect the way you walk a little bit. So mom was, oh, relief the pain, great. So they killed that nerve, and she would fall over on a regular basis. Because that tiny little nerve on the outside of your foot tells you if you're overleaning. And without it, boom. And it was a horrible thing and an adjustment. And eventually your body kind of compensates and you fix some things. But maybe, you know, you may feel like you're that little nerve and the little toe and doesn't seem that important. Well, try to walk without it and you realize it's an important thing. So I want to encourage you today. We need to find what our gifts are. So I'm going to take a few minutes and run through some of this on some of these gifts. I didn't list them up there because it just seems list after list. Uh, there's only 172, so I'll run fast. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> there's 168. The, um, <clears throat> but I want to read this statement. I think how we live our life, knowing what our spiritual gifts are, they, they, we have to search the scriptures to pursue what they are so we'll know what they are. Then we need to exercise them in an orderly fashion. It needs to be subject to the word. It's not a new gift that never, no one's ever heard of. It's not in the scripture. And I have a new revelation. Listen, revelation comes from God. New revelation does not if it does not line up with scripture. The scripture is written and completed. Your new revelation 
Uh, it better fall in the line with scriptures or there's going to be some conflict. Your giftedness has to fall into that as well. As long as the gifts are exercised in orderly and humbly mannered fashion, subject to the scriptures, the context of the con- in the context of the congregation, and the spirit of love, we will then be a successful body of Christ. But it, if, we, if we exercise them in any different way, pridefully, arrogantly, pushy, dominant, authoritatively, it's not in the right spirit. So listen, Romans 12 gives us these seven. Exhortation, which is a big word that um, most of you probably know what it means, but just to break it down, it's really to exalt, to encourage, to build up, to, to edify. Uh, it, it's one that uh, if you have this gift, then you really do like to encourage people saying, hey, it's okay, you can do this. You're, you know, you can do it, you know, whatever you need to, to, to use. Uh, the gift of leadership, obviously you have the ability to lead others. Uh, we don't have time to go into all these, but prophecy uh, tends to be one that people get a little confused. Prophecy means to be able to speak the truth directly. This is not necessarily telling people of what you have got a vision that's going to happen down the road. The gift of prophecy, if you are a prophet, you tend to have a very difficult time showing grace. You just need to say, everything's black and white, you're wrong. This is how you fix it. This is what you need to do. This is right, this is wrong, and you're wrong. If, you have, if, you have a, if you're married to a prophet, it's tough. If you are a prophet, it's tough. Because people are like, you're always going, why are you so offended? Because you just blasted me. I want you to say it with love. The, the encourager, the exhortation would say it with love. The prophet says it very clear. Teaching, the, the ability to have the gift of teaching, not just be a teacher, but to be able to take the word of God in complicated ways and break it down. The gift of giving. I mentioned this a while ago. I knew a guy that had a gift of giving and his wife was frustrated all the time because he gave away everything of value in his life. She brought him a brand new suit, went to work one day, he came home in coveralls. And she said, what happened? He said, this guy was traveling through and he needed some things. He's on the way to a funeral, didn't have a suit and it was the right size. I gave it to him. She goes, we spent 400 bucks on that. He goes, well, we'll get another one. You know, just give things away without any thought of, of, of what that is. I do not have this gift. I watch every dollar very carefully. I'm like, ah, that's a dollar. Well, I can go home and get a suit that doesn't fit me anymore to give that guy, you know, because I, I, I want to hold on to things, and that's not good. That's not a very good use of God's um, resources. The gift of mercy that you just, you're just so compassionate for people. The gift of service, the acts of service, to be able to, to care for people and do some things. I'm going to give you an analogy here in a minute. You'll be able to fit into this. Gift of administration discernment. You just see things. You see people as they really are, not as they pretend to be. The gift of healing. Not, this is in 1 Corinthians 12. Healings. Uh, gift of knowledge, which is um, the ability to know things that you wouldn't know on your own, that God has put knowledge into you. Prophecy, as we talked about. Tongues. Uh, wisdom. Uh, just to be wise. Now, let me give you, a, there is a gift of, of, of knowledge, and somebody may have knowledge, but they don't have the gift of teaching. And when that person tries to tell you something, you are overwhelmed with information going, I have no idea what you're talking about. So they may know deep things, but if they don't have the gift of teaching to be able to take it down to your level, it's very frustrating. But they're important that you have somebody with a gift of knowledge. Uh, I don't know if I said this, wisdom, apostleship, which is more like a church planner or a missionary. They like to bring order to things and they, they organize the body of Christ in, in um, expanding the gospel. The gift of faith, the gifts of helps, the gifts of miracles, teaching, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. In Ephesians 4, apostleship, pastorship, teaching, evangelism, prophecy. And some of those are are duplicated, but I'm just reading them out of those passages. So if we're in a situation and there was a massive catastrophe that happened in downtown Bernie, and all of a sudden everybody's phone starts blowing up saying, hey, have you seen what happened downtown? 
and you immediately are going to have a response. And for some, your response might just be, wow, that's bad. Hey, let's go to lunch. But for some of you, your first thought is, how can I help? How can I run to the battle? How can I run to the scene? Can I go and pick up somebody in my car and take them to get help? Or can I go get organized lunch for the first responders? Can I, what can I do? How can I jump in? Most likely, if you know how to serve, you have figured out how to use your spiritual gift to assist in all circumstances. Some of you have such mercy and compassion. You would think, man, somebody's hurt. We've got to go, and I'm just going to hold the hand of the victim. I'm going to hold the hand of the, the family members of the victims, or I'm going to, I, 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 can, I can love, or some of you have the, the gift of faith. Just say, man, I'm just going to go and pray. Some of you have the gift of evangelism saying, hey, I don't know that I'll get to share the gospel, but I'm going to go and I'm going to love on people and maybe the opportunity to share Christ's love would come about. Some of you would just say, hey, I I don't know, maybe I have the gift of service and I just want to go do something. And some of you just have a natural tendency to be kind of a first responder, life support person. and Your first response is just run into the battle and then figure out what you need to do. But in our spiritual giftedness, God helps us to understand that we need to know what our gift is We need to not be uninformed. We need to exercise in an orderly fashion. And then we need to make sure that whatever we feel God's calling in our life is, is subject to the word of God and to accountability of others. So I say this a lot, especially in youth ministry. People would come up and say, hey, Kyle, the Lord told me to tell you this is what we need to do. Okay. That's an okay statement, but it's really not very scriptural. Because what you really need to say is, I feel like the Lord may have led this put this on my heart and I want to share this with you and I want you to pray about it and see if the Holy Spirit confirms that in you. Because otherwise I'm coming like I have knowledge and you don't, and I'm going to tell you what you need to know. That's not humble. That's a dominant position. Uh, Or or somebody says, I'm the most humble person you'll ever know and I'm really proud of it. Okay. I think we got a little problem with our definitions. So in the usefulness of what God has for us, He has a plan, and if you're not doing it, then you're robbing the rest of us in the body of Christ of not having the privilege of having all the members of our body working together. And that would be like the, I don't know if you saw this the other day, Uh, I was flipping the channels, it was some dance show, Uh, maybe it's America's Got Talent, I'm not sure, the one-legged dance guy, he, he is in this dance routine with this other girl, and he's got one leg, and it's absolutely amazing. Now, if you were to judge him on someone with both legs, there are some things that he can't do. And there's a wobbliness when he picks her up over his head and you're going, wow, that's amazing. So yes, he is compensated in a you know, magnificent, awesome way, but he's still limited because he only has one leg. We sometimes function as a church because we're not, we don't have all of our parts working at the same time. And if you have a part that's not being played, then whatever is connected to that in the, in the example of the physical would be limited. If you're the elbow and the hands are all trying to do what they're trying to do, but the elbow's not there, the hand can't do what it's supposed to do and be able to reach. If you're the tendon and you're not doing what you're supposed to do, the hand can't close properly. I had a professor in high, in, in, in high school that was in a terrible car wreck and his fingers were rolled back in such a way that I can't even do it without breaking my own. So they were like this. He couldn't close them in any way. So he'd pick up a piece of paper and he'd scoot it off like that and he'd hand it out like that. And I remember thinking, I am so proud that he came back from his accident. He wants to teach. He's got to overcome all those things. But life would be a lot easier for him if he could grab and use his fingers. If we're not all there, we're not all doing what we need to do. So let me end with this today. 
I think, uh, one, this, this topic is so difficult because it's so broad. And some of you are going, well, what does that mean? What does that? I don't know what my gift is. I want to encourage you. You can find all kinds of things online. You just put in spiritual gifts. You can come up with dozens of tests. They're good. I went through uh, this week and I, and I Googled a bunch of stuff, just spiritual gifts tests and assessments. And, and, and really the first 10 or 15 that came up, I was okay with all of them. Some are more comprehensive. Some of them are a little bit more conservative. So they're going to take the sign gifts out because it can be confusing. And they're just going to go to what they call the main category of gifts. Um, you can look around and see what you want to find. You can take that test and you'll get some idea what you're strong in. You'll also get some ideas of what you're weak in. And that's okay. If our weakness is evangelism, it doesn't mean we're not called to still share the gospel and participate in that. But it means if you have the gift of evangelism that you are super gifted at turning any conversation into a spiritual conversation without the other person going, wow, that was awkward. (laughs) They're very talented to be able to say, you know, hey, this is a cool box. It reminds me of the gospel, and and I can't do it because I don't have the gift of evangelism. But I mean, they can turn any object into a discussion. But what I would say is this, you need to be looking for finding out what it is. And I would encourage you to do a few things. First, pray and ask God. I'm not sure what my gift is, but I want to pray because I know God has it. He knows what it is. He's given one to you. Your box isn't going to be empty and he wants you to know it. So praying and asking. And then I suggest get involved in serving. Be someplace involved in the serving of the church where you feel like you would be really good at, and very likely you're headed towards one of your giftedness. Because if you say, hey, I don't want to be a greeter, I don't like people, then you probably don't have the gift of hospitality. (laughs) But some of you would say, hey, we're looking for life group leaders. go, oh, not me. I could never get a Bible study. I could never do all these things. There's no way I could do that. And you're going, okay, do you have the gift of hospitality where you could open your home and have it ready for people to come in and treat them like their family? Well, yeah, I'd be really good at that. Then you have the gift of hospitality. Maybe not in leadership or teaching. So um, here's one of the things, uh, the, the list is on the board. I forgot to put it up there. Ask God, get involved and serve. Ask others what they think. Um, take the tests online. And then the last thing I put up there was, I would encourage you to, to meet with somebody that's going to help you as a ministry leader to be able to identify some of those things. You could come and say, hey, I think I have the gift of whatever. And if they know you or in a relationship with you, you can begin to talk about that and figure out where that is. The question we end with today is, can you say without any question this statement? I know my spiritual gifts, and I am using them to fulfill God's purpose for me. If we, can, if we cannot say, I know my spiritual gifts, and I'm using them to fulfill God's purposes for me, then we need to find them. And that's what's so cool about today's message. He wants you to know. This isn't hidden in Egypt, and you've got to go dig it up. This isn't from just scholarly people. This isn't just from anybody that's whatever. It doesn't just come to people that are in church for 35 years. It's everybody. Every single believer has been given a gift. So when you open your box, as you search for this, if you don't already know, it's not going to be a, oh, that's a bummer. Instead, it's like, oh, I get to do this. I am so excited that God has given me a calling and a purpose, and he has a plan for me. As we finish today, I want to give you an opportunity to respond in a couple of ways. Our ministry team is going to come up here right now, and they're going to kind of be in the front of the stage. And uh, what this is, if you're not familiar, is our ministry uh, team are people that will be willing to talk to you and pray with you and encourage you over whatever you're going through. 
It could even be just say, listen, I don't know my spiritual gift and they probably can't tell you what your spiritual gift is, right? Standing up here at the front of the stage, but they can pray with you and tell you, hey, I'm gonna pray and ask God to reveal that to you. So our ministry team is available. But I also wanna encourage you two other things. If you were not here last week and did not hear this, we have tables set up in our lobby that Pastor Jason talked about being a part of small group or community uh, last week is the message. And we have tables out of there, are out in the lobby. Our uh, student ministry has for their small groups that start tonight. Uh, financial peace, changes that heal, both areas to help work on some things in your life. Life group table is out there. Men's and women's ministries out there. We want to encourage you about dudes, uh, dudes weekend coming up in a few weeks. If you're a dude, it's going to be incredible. But whatever you need to do today, we want you to take business with God seriously, not just a, hey, I went this morning, it was good. I want you to find out what God has for you. And if you're a guest, would you take just a moment before you leave today, come across the atrium there to the garage area. We'd love to meet you. We've got some of our staff and our team is in there to say hello, get to know you a little bit better and give you a small gift. So as we get ready to go, I want to pray for us. If you guys would stand with me right before we go, something about getting up maybe helps us engage in prayer. But my prayer is very simple. Father, I pray today that you as the almighty creator, lover of our souls, the one that controls the universe, that knows every star, knows every hair on our heads. You know every thought that we've had, every thought that we will have. And yet in all of your divine power and nature, you chose to know us personally and to build into our soul and our DNA a gift to bring to the church, for the church to be empowered and to be effective for the community around us and the world that needs it. Father, help us to find that. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.